Well, in this morning's parable, which is the wise and foolish builders, week number two of our parable series here, we're going to be talking about the concept of storms. And I think I've shared this with you before, but when we, we moved from Missouri down to Arizona, we had to drive through Oklahoma, which is the only thing you should ever do with Oklahoma is drive through it. Um, Jack Rippey comes on Tuesday nights. He's a diehard Oklahoman, and he gets angry when I speak ill of Oklahoma. But he's not here this morning, and I spoke a little bit nicer about it last night. But, but honestly, like, if I never enter into Oklahoma again, I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, because we, driving from Missouri down to Arizona, Oklahoma tried to kill us. It, uh, the skies opened up. We had, I, no lie, five tornado warnings. Not watches, but warnings, which means there's a tornado sighted, and it's on the ground within five miles of us as we were driving through this stretch of Oklahoma. It was hailing. Uh, my wife and I had just traded off, and she was driving at the time, which was not the greatest moment in, in the world. But we just felt like this, this is it. This is the end. We're, we're not going to Arizona. God doesn't want us there. And, uh, well, it was a good ride. Um, but in that moment, with that storm, all I wanted is I wanted to be inside somewhere. I wanted to be inside a building that was strong and sturdy and had a solid foundation, and that was not going to go anywhere. And that's just it. When we face storms, when we encounter storms, which we don't often out here, but when we do, you, you want to be someplace safe. You don't want to be out in the open. You don't want to be left exposed. And certainly you don't want to be somewhere that's weak or that could be compromised when it comes to whether or not it will stand. The parable that we're looking at this morning talks about how we will weather the storms that come at us in life. And it has to do with the foundation that we've chosen to build our lives upon. These two houses in the parable are really, from all points of view on the, the outside, very similar to one another. Uh, the way that they're described is, is very similar to one another. The only thing that's different is the foundation. But that difference has everything to do with the outcome, the success, or the failure of these two houses. Take your Bible, if you will, and open to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 24 through 27. But before that, a little context. Matthew chapter 7, the end of Matthew chapter 7 here is where we are. But the end of Matthew chapter 7 is also the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount. And we looked at that last summer. We covered the Beatitudes together. But beyond the Beatitudes, Jesus has been talking about uh, our issues with anger, right? When he says, hey, you know what? I, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. I say, don't be angry with your brother. He's talked about lust. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say do not lust after a woman in your heart. You've heard it said, you know, he goes through and on and on and on. He's talked about divorce. He's talked about marriage. He's talked about giving. He's talked about fasting. He's talked about praying in the sermon. And now he comes to the end and, and he tells this parable in a way to remind us that all of this is not just a, a, a nice little suggestion on here's a philosophy of life, but no, this is something that we need to be about. This is something that needs to define our lives. This is something that we need to be about doing and not just hearing. Pick up in verse 24. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. In some parables, you've got multiple different characters. In fact, even in the parable we looked at together last week, you have four different soils, which represent four different types of people. And then you have the sower on top of that. Well, in this morning's parable, we only find two main characters. 
you've got the wise man and the foolish man. And they both set out with the same task. They want to build a house. When my dad was in college, he had the, the joy, I think he would call it a joy, of being able to work with his father in building the house that his father, my grandfather, retired in. And so they lived in, in upstate New York, and he would come home during the summer, and he would work on building this house. But one of the things that he learned during that time was the importance of precision and the importance of being exact, not just the measure twice and cut once uh, maxim that, that hopefully most of us know in the room, but, but also the importance of having a strong foundation, a solid foundation. And until you get that foundation poured and that, that foundation is squared up and that foundation is dry and that foundation is, is ready to go, you, you really can't do anything else. And you can't rush through that because if you rush through that and the foundation is off, well, then the rest of the structure is going to be off as well. And this wise man in this parable, he understood that. This wise man had a, a leg up on the, the foolish man because even though it would have taken him a little bit longer, in fact, in Luke's account of the same parable, Luke says that the wise man dug down deep to find the solid foundation. So even though this took a little bit more time, it would have required a little bit more delaying the, the process of gratification of seeing the house built. This was the wise decision for this man to make. And he knew it was important for him to find the rock before building the house. Because living in this area and in this particular geographic region in Israel, as Jesus is telling this parable, remember with parables, he's telling real life situations. He's, he's grabbing like a, a farmer sowing a seed and now like building a house and storms coming. This was something that these listeners, that this audience, as they listened to Jesus, would have heard and nodded their heads going, yes, we know what he's talking about. We've experienced this. And so knowing the geographic region, this man knew how important it was to find solid rock to build his house upon because the storms would come. In fact, it says in the text, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. The word for rain here is not just the word for a, a drizzle or a, even a sustained, just steady rain. No, this is a torrential downpour, sheets of rain coming down. So much so that it leads to not just the rains, but the text says it leads also to the, the floods that come. When we lived in Arizona, it was uh, dry for the majority of the year, but then you would have the, the monsoon season that would come. And the monsoon seasons would be particularly dangerous because there were these areas that would cross over the streets, over the roads that you would drive on, that, that were called washes. And these areas were where the road would, would dip down and, and then come back up on the other side, but the, the either side of the road that would go out into the desert was channels where when the, the rain would fall, these channels would fill up with water and, and rush across these roads. And I remember moving there and people warning us, hey, you need to be careful if it rains, you need to not try to make it through one of these washes. You need to, to, to just wait it out. You think to yourself, really, it's, it's Arizona, it's dry, we live in the desert. It, it, what in the world, how could this possibly happen? Well, what would happen is, the, the rain would come, and it would, it, when it would rain, it would rain, and it would be torrential downpours. And because it was a desert climate, and there weren't a lot of plants and, and other things to absorb the water, the water had nowhere to go. So it would begin to run, and it would run down these washes, and it would come across these roads. And if you were in your car, you could drive across this wash five minutes before the rain started. But then five minutes later, another car trying to make it across could be caught in this, this torrent, this flood, and carried down into the wash, and it would happen oftentimes. In fact, there were times I would drive by, and I'd see a car 20 yards, 30 yards down the wash because it had tried to cross through and was carried away by the, the waters. 
Well, it's a similar climate in a lot of ways in this part of, of the world in Israel. And so the, the rains would come and the floods would rise and they would rise unexpectedly. These were flash floods that would come and not only the floods and the rains, but then the winds would come. And this word for wind here in the text is the same word that's used in the account of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. The, the raging winds that were causing seasoned sailors to be terrified that their boat was going to capsize. This is the type of wind that comes upon this house. And it says in the text, it beat upon the house. It comes upon the house with great force. It's the Hebrew word that means to strike or to hit or to cause a blow. And the wind unleashes on this house as well. So you've got the rain and you've got the floods and you've got the wind and it's beating and it's pounding. And these are the trials and tribulations of life. These are to, to think back to our parable from last week in the, the, the shallow soil. You remember it has the initial signs of life and it looks promising, but then the text says that the trials and tribulations of life come upon this seed and it, it withers and it dies because it has no root. Well, these are the trials and tribulations, and this is the house that's founded upon the rock. This is the good soil, and, and, and this house is able to withstand the storm because of its foundation, and that's what Jesus says, but Jesus says this house did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Well, there's the foolish man in the text as well, and the foolish man didn't have the same resolve, didn't have the same patience, didn't have the same commitment as the first man, to dig down deep and to find the rock, instead thought that was maybe too much work and wanted to get to the building of the house and wanted to be satisfied with the, the, the finished product and just get done so he could get on with living his life. And so he settled for the, the shallow foundation, the sandy foundation. But just like the wise man, for the foolish man, the storm came as well. Same storm. Same torrential rain, same flash floods, same strong wind, same beating upon the house. And Jesus says this time with the foolish man's house, the house fell and great was the fall of it. Two houses. Again, you stand on the street, you look at these two houses, they're going to look very similar from the outside. The only difference is what they're built upon. And what reveals what they're built upon is the storm and the trial and the tribulation. See, Jesus was telling this parable, because remember, parables are a story with a point. Jesus never told a random parable. Jesus wasn't into just like bedtime stories with Jesus, just telling things for the fun of it. No, he was always after something. And what he was after here is he was wanting to make sure that everyone listening to this story had made sure, had ensured that they had built their, their house on the solid foundation, on the right foundation. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 the Apostle Paul says, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians 2, 19 through 20, Paul says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the most important stone of the foundation. It had to be hewn perfectly from the quarry with every angle precise because if there was one angle off on the cornerstone, the entire foundation would be compromised. So Paul says we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus is the most important part of that foundation. So man, Jesus is telling this parable to make sure that we have built our lives upon the right foundation, that we have dug down deep and that we have found the rock 
that we're not fooled into thinking that we are okay when we've built our lives upon a sandy foundation or upon a foundation that is, is not going to withstand the storms. King David, when he was king, but also prior to that, would often in the Psalms refer to Jesus as his stronghold, his fortress, his refuge. David's on the run from Saul after Samuel has already anointed him as king, and he's going to be the next king. And, and here Saul is with his armies pursuing David. You remember David in Gedi when he cuts off the robe, and then he comes out and he confronts Saul, and he says to Saul, why are you pursuing me? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dead dog. I'm a flea. What are you doing? Why are you? And David must have had the times of, of doubting, going, okay, Lord, in fact, we know he did. Lord, how long? Or when his son Absalom is pursuing him. And yet David reminded himself that the Lord was his refuge. The Lord was his stronghold. The Lord was his firm foundation. It's the same thought that Jesus is driving at here, man. We need to make sure that Christ is our foundation. And that's our first point this morning. Make sure you're building on the right foundation. Make sure you're building on the right foundation. And before you you write this off by saying, well, I am. I'm, I'm good. I've, I've been at Compass for 15 years since it started. I, I was even with Pastor Mike before that. I've, I've been uh, around his teaching for years. I, I'm good to go. I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I want all of us to have this moment of introspection because here's the thing. There are the, the foundations in the world that the world is willing to offer us to say, hey, build your life on Wealth or health or prestige or power or fame or status or success or entertainment or sex. And the problem is, and we can all identify all those foundations and say, well, those are, those are faulty foundations. Those are all wrong. Those are, are things that we shouldn't build our lives on. And those are not going to weather the storm. But are, are you sure that you are truly building on the, the right foundation of, of Jesus Christ? And maybe you say, well, how do I, I know that? Well, Jesus identified it right at the beginning of our parable, when he said, everyone who hears the words of mine and does them, hears them and does them, will be like the man who's built his house upon the rock. See, the, the rock is Christ. The way that we know that we are founded on Christ is as we look at our lives and say, have I heard his word and done his word? And primarily, men, the, the first stop for that is the opening charge of Christ, repent and believe for the gospel, the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Jesus didn't come on the scene with the, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus didn't come on the scene teaching morality. He didn't come on the scene saying, hey, don't lust, don't commit murder, don't hate, don't commit adultery, don't give to, to be seen by men, don't pray pompously. That's not what his initial message was. The initial message of Jesus was repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, the first thing that we have to do, men, is to repent and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. We have to believe that he died on the cross so that we can be forgiven. We have to believe that he rose from the dead so that we will live with him forever. And we have to believe that he's given us his spirit so that we can follow him as our king, right? That is the gospel. And that is what saves. That is the rock. And that is what, what we have to make sure that we have built our lives upon. See, when we talk to some people and we say, hey, when were you saved? And they say, well, I've, I've always been a Christian. No one has always been a Christian. No one has. It's an impossibility for someone to have always been a Christian because none of us are born saved. All of us need that moment we are brought from death to life. All of us need that moment where the old is gone and the new has come. All of us need that moment where we are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. 
All of us need to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. All of us have to have that moment. And so if, if you're trusting a proximity to Jesus, but not a commitment to Jesus, then you're trusting in a foundation that's not the rock. If you're trusting in a track record of always having gone to church, but you've never gone to Jesus, you're trusting in a foundation that's not the rock. Pastor Mike often uses the, the illustration of the tightrope walker and the wheelbarrow. And you're standing on the, the edge of the cliff and you watch this man walk across the tightrope with the wheelbarrow a hundred times and he's rock steady the entire time. He never stumbles, never wavers, never falls. And you even see other people get in the wheelbarrow and go back and forth across it and they're fine and they get out and they're, they're totally fine. And there, yet there's a difference between you saying, well, I believe that you could get me across the tightrope in the wheelbarrow. I believe that. I've seen the evidence. I've seen the facts. I've witnessed this. Yes, I believe this we're good. There's a difference between that and you what? Getting in the wheelbarrow. And and that's the difference, men, between an intellectual faith and a genuine commitment to Jesus. We have to go beyond believing that Jesus is our Savior. We have to go beyond intellectually agreeing with the historical facts that he died on the cross and rose from the dead to having a full life commitment to him as our Lord and Savior. See, James says, you believe In Jesus, well, congratulations, even the demons believe in Jesus. See, man, there has to be something deeper than that, to dig down deep, right? Uh, Paul says in Romans 10, 9, he says, if you believe, if you confess, rather, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and here it is, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Heart is one of those squishy words we don't talk about too much around here, right? But what it meant, it's it's the seat of the, the intellect, the emotions, and the will. It's your whole person. It's you saying, okay, I am all in here. That this has gone from merely an intellectual agreement with the facts to now it's a firm resolve and commitment that Jesus is my Savior. That I am guilty, that I am a sinner, that I need Christ for salvation. Man, we got to make sure that we've gotten there. And not just been trusting, hey, I grew up a good person. My parents took me to church. I always went to church. I even brought my family to church but you've never been all in with Jesus. You see, if you'll look back up just a few verses before our parable, Jesus talks to people like that. Verse 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that address, when he says, Lord, Lord, I was listening to a sermon by R.C. Sproul recently who said of those, that double address there, repeating the name Lord. He said, this is an appeal of intimacy and desperation. Right? Think of Jesus on the cross when he calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To address a person twice like that. right? And so these people are claiming this closeness with Jesus that they just they don't have. Lord, Lord, uh, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? But I will declare to them, I, I never knew you. We never had a relationship. Sure, you did church, you played the church game, you served in the church, you maybe taught Awana. You, you were serving, you were attending, you were connecting. You were, doing, you were checking all the boxes to be a highly committed participant, but there was never a relationship with me there. And man, we, we have the joy of attending a church that is a faithful, gospel, biblical church. 
but we run the risk of putting our confidence and our trust in our church and not in our Savior. I want us to make sure that we've trusted in the right foundation. Jesus is the right foundation. That full of commitment that says, I'm getting in the wheelbarrow. Let's go, Jesus. See, again, this, the importance of the, the foundation is the storm, right? And some of you have weathered storms that the rest of us have no idea about. And you found Jesus to be faithful. Others of you have not gone through as many storms. But if I can borrow from our time in Ecclesiastes, there is a storm that's the mother of all storms that's coming at all of us in this room at some point in time. And that storm is what? Death. And that's the deciding storm. That's the storm that rips the house from the moorings and shows what's underneath. And this world will say, hey, build your life on money. Build your life on relationships. Build your life on sex. Build your life on lust. Build your life on power. Build your life on pleasure. Build your life on fame. Build your life on hard work, right? But here's the problem with all those foundations. Man, the house is ripped off the moorings and it's just sand. The only foundation that will stand in the face of the storm of death is the one who's conquered death. And that's Jesus. So, man, we have got to make sure that we are building on the right foundation, the foundation of Jesus. And here's the thing. There's no hybrid foundations out there. You can't have a foundation that's part Jesus and part something else. This is an all or nothing proposition. To quote from the great theologian, do or do not, there is no try. Right? You're either all in with Jesus or you're not in with Jesus. That was a Yoda, by the way, for some of you guys who... Yeah. Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Okay. Pastor PJ, I think I'm founded on the rock. I'm confident. I've, I've put my trust in Jesus. I'm in the wheelbarrow. How, how can I be sure? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Well, what does it mean to do words? If you're a boss, or if maybe if you're the boss, then think back to the last time you had a boss who said, hey, I've got a project for you, and I need you to get it done by next Friday, and here's what I'd like you to do. It's a good idea to, to listen and then to act on those words, yes? Yeah? Otherwise, you won't have a boss for very long, and you also won't have a job for very long, Yes? So if, if we understand that concept, how much more important is it for us to look at the words that the God of the universe has given to us and to say, well, it's probably a wise thing for me to listen to what he says and do what he says. And that's what he's talking about here. In fact, James says in James 1.22 that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Take your Bibles, if you will, flip over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. John makes a similar point to what we're talking about here, what James has talked about, what Jesus is talking about. Look at verse 3, 1 John chapter 2. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. 
which is what we're after, remember? We, we want to hear him say, welcome, good and faithful servant. I know you. Well, John is saying, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. How do I keep a commandment? What does it mean to keep the commandments of God but to do them, to obey them? I can't tell you I'm keeping the law that says that I have to stop at the stoplight if I blow through every stoplight. I'm not keeping that law, am I? So we need to keep the commandments. By this, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do this, does not keep his commandments, is a a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, does his word. Whose word? The word of Jesus, the word of God. In him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk or behave or conduct themselves in the same way in which he walked. Man, if you want to know if you are building on the right foundation, that's what John's talking about here. That's what James was talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's hearing the word and doing the word. It's interesting, Jesus is not talking to a group of atheists here. In fact, he's, he's talking to the, the religious leaders of the day and those that followed them, the Jewish people. He's reminding them, look, it's not only important that you hear the word and you know the word, great, you've got the Shema memorized and the Pentateuch memorized. Fantastic, congratulations. What are you doing with it? That's the key. That's how we know we're building on the rock is when we look at our lives and we see that we are not just hearing and absorbing and taking in, but then applying and doing. Point number two this morning is this, get from hearing to doing. Get from hearing to doing. You can take a book or a series of books like the Lord of the Rings, right? Like Tolkien. Some of you are like, don't speak ill of Tolkien. You already took a shot at Star Wars. Don't go after Tolkien now. Well, I'm going to. You can read the Lord of the Rings and put it down and think, man, that's a great book and do nothing about it. That's, that's fine, right? And you can, the story of Frodo and the ring and Mordor and, and throwing the ring and the, the lava and everything else, right? I mean, and if you haven't seen it yet, the movies have been out forever and the books have been out for longer, so I'm not sorry. But the, the whole Gollum and everything, you can see all that, you can read that, and maybe you draw principles from that book and say, well, I can think about this and how this applies to life or this and how this applies to life. And, and maybe that's so, but you can also read them and some people read them and go, man, this bores me or I don't like it at all. And they set it down and they never go back to it again. That's fine. You can do that with Tolkien. You can't do that with Jesus. We can't do that with the Bible. We don't have that right or that luxury. When we read the word of God, we are responsible to take and apply and do the word of God. He's given us this book in order for it to transform our lives. And beyond that, he's given us his spirit so that the spirit will help us to understand this book and understand how we're supposed to apply it to our lives. And so when we read things like love one another or honor your father and mother or do not worship any God but God alone or do not commit sexual immorality or do not lie to one another or put on compassion and kindness, Right When we read these things, these are, are not commands that are mere suggestions that we can look at and go, okay, well, that's your opinion, and, and maybe I'll give that a try, right? We're not reading a self-help book. 
We're not reading a book on how to make friends and be successful. We're not reading a book on how to have your best life now. We're reading God's word. And God is giving us commands, not suggestions. And he wants us to take them, to hear them, and to do them. And Jesus says this is one of the things that distinguishes whether your house is being built on the rock or if your house is being built on the sand. It's what are you doing with the word? And let me ask us this question, man. What are we doing with the daily Bible reading every single day? Because if you're just doing it, checking the box and moving on with your life, then, then you're missing our intention for you as pastors. And you're missing God's intention, more importantly for you, with the word. It's not just about reading it so that your eyes cross over the page and you read it and then you check the box and move on and go, well, I read the, the Bible and you expect some karma-based response that now the rest of your day is going to go great and your birdie putt's going to drop on the 18th because you did your DBR. That's not, that's not what we're doing here. We want you to have an impact with the word. We want to put you in the way of, in the path of the Bible daily so that the word of God begins to go to work in your life and transform your life. And so not only should you be reading the word, but then asking yourself, okay, are there commands that I just read that I need to be doing? Are there sins that I need to be repenting of and putting off? We need to be also meditating on the word of God, chewing on the word of God, memorizing the word of God. It is more important for you to do that than to do anything else on your daily agenda because nothing else has the power to transform your life than the word of God. It is the most potent tool that God has to see you become more like Jesus. And so we need to be not just hearing it, but doing it. Another way to think of this is, is Legos. I'm assuming most of you in the room have at one point in time built Legos before. I'm in the midst of that, and I've got decades in front of me, I think, with kids, and then just by myself because I like Legos. But you get a Lego set, you bring it home, and there's two types of people in this world, right? There's the type of people that, that carefully open the box and pull it out, and you've got the instructions, and you're looking at the bags, and the bags are now numbered, which makes people like me just super happy about that. And you know, okay, I'm going to open bag number one first. And you lay out all the pieces and you sort them so that you know where they are. And you even put them in colors. This is getting a glimpse into my life for a minute. And then you turn the instruction page, open to page one. And you start at step one. Okay, build a minifig. So you do that. And then you start with the, right, there's that person. And then there's the, the people that are wrong. And they're the people that open the box. And they take the instructions in the box and they toss it behind them and they look at the bags and they just dump them in one giant pile because some people just like to watch the world burn and they just dump all the Legos in one pile and then they remember, oh yeah, I need to remember what I'm building. So they grab the box, they look at the picture of the box once, they throw it behind them and they just start going at it. Okay? Sometimes, men, that's how we, we treat God's word. Like, ah, ah, what am I supposed to read today? Oh, I'm reading Matthew chapter 7. And do not give to dogs what is holy and throw your pearls before the pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. That's great, Jesus. Thanks for your word this morning. Now let me get about the rest of my day. No, there's, man, there needs to be a precision and an intentionality as we approach the word. Every single time to say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with what I'm reading today? What are you asking me to do? The Lego instructions are there for a reason because the guy who designed that set said, this is how you build it. Man, the Bible is here for a reason because the guy that designed us said, this is how you become more like Jesus. I 
There's a foolish man also in this story, right? Verse 26, everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them. Notice the difference there. The difference is the two foundations. What reveals the two foundations? Well, the storm reveals them, but how do you know what foundation you have? It's what you do with the word. Both hear the word. Both receive the word. Both take in the word. But the difference is one applies the word and one does not. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This is the man who hears his boss say, hey, I've got this project for you and I need you to do this by next Friday and says, okay, and then does nothing about it. This is the man who takes the Lego instructions and tosses them over his head behind his back. James compares this person to a man who looks intently into a mirror to to check his appearance, right? That's why we look at a mirror, to figure out if we've got boogers hanging out our nose or anything else we need to adjust before we go out in public. James says, well, here in verses 23 and 24, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, that that hopefully sounds familiar based on what we just read in, in Matthew chapter 7. If anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face. That word natural there, it's not a flattering word. It's not a kind word, right? No, this is like you wake up in the morning, you you step into the bathroom, you look at yourself and you wonder what in the world happened last night. That's what we mean by natural face. And this is a man who's looking intently, carefully, going, okay, what do I need to do to make myself not look like this anymore? He looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he is like. There's, or there was rather, I'm a little upset that it's not there anymore. I don't know where it went. But backstage in Maine, there was a a full length mirror right on the stairs before you go out, like where we come out from the back there by the drums to do announcement. And the the mirror was, was welcome because... It was a chance to, to check and make sure everything was in order before you walk out and potentially make a fool of yourself in front of everybody in the church. In fact, my wife's worst nightmare and what she always checks with me, and she did, I did announcements this past weekend, and before I went up, she said, hey, make sure that your zipper is up. That's her worst nightmare is me walking out on stage with my fly down. Well, that mirror was helpful for that. And that was oftentimes what I would do before going out. I would take a, a gl- quick glance, make sure that the zipper was up, that I wasn't flying low or anything, and make sure that the mic is, is positioned correctly and not wonky or anything else, and then I would go. Well, James is saying to hear the word and not do the word would be like me standing in front of that mirror before going out, maybe not even to just do announcements, but to preach and seeing, man, my fly's undone, my mic is up here, my shirt's not buttoned correctly, I've got breakfast on my face, seeing that and going, oh man, look how bad I look. And then going, ah, okay. And then walking out on stage anyways. And we laugh, right? But that's what it is to read the word of God, to hear the word of God, and to do nothing about it. James says it's like that. Jesus says it's like a fool who's building his house on the beach. You guys have all been to the beach, right? You've built a sandcastle. It doesn't matter how awesome your sandcastle looks and how great it looks and how firm-packed your sand is. When that tide comes in, it's going to do what? Destroy the sandcastle. Man, it doesn't matter how nice the outside of the house looks, what the curb appeal is like. If the house is built on a faulty foundation, 
the house is going to fall. Our final point this morning is this. Reject the sandy foundations in your life. Reject the sandy foundations in your life. What are sandy foundations in our lives? Well, first, a sandy foundation is anything other than Jesus that you are trusting in for your eternity. Anything other than Jesus that you are trusting in for your eternity. What, for example? Well, how about self-righteousness? Right? Self-righteousness. This is the mindset that says, well, I've always been a Christian because I've always been a good person because I've always gone to church. This is the mindset that says, well, at the end of the day, God is going to be okay with me because I've done more good than I've done bad. This is the mindset that says, because my doctrine is sound, then I am sound. This is the mindset that says, because I've gone to a solid church, then I must be okay. Remember the audience Jesus was addressing. They were being trained by a legion of self-righteous priests and Pharisees and scribes, yes? Those that Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Yeah, you look good from the outside, but inside you are full of rottenness, uncleanness, dead men's bones. You clean the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of filth. He says, you tithe dill and mint, and you're tithing your spice cabinet, but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law, which is justice and mercy. He's saying, you're putting on a front, and you've got all these people fooled, but you don't have the one that matters most fooled, and that is God. Because, God, man, God sees not just the exterior, but the interior. God knows not just the, the, the outside of the house, the curb appeal of the house, but also the foundation of the house. We need to be careful that we are not building on self-righteousness. Another sandy foundation is like we talked earlier, it's agreement with the facts of the gospel, but not belief, not commitment, not resolve, not trust in the gospel. This is standing on the edge of the cliff going, yeah, I believe that you could get me back and forth across on the wheelbarrow, but don't ask me to get in the wheelbarrow. I'm going to trust in my, myself and my own two feet on solid ground. I'm not willing to trust you with everything. It's another sandy foundation. A third one might be an emotional profession with no discipleship. What I mean by this, this, this is soil number two and soil number three from last week. The shallow soil. The signs of life. Joy that they receive the word with. And it looks so promising, but then the storms and the trials and the tribulations come and there's no root, so they wither and they fall away. Or there's the, the, the thorny soil. Again, the signs of life, but... They want Jesus and, they want Jesus and the, the cares of the world. They want to blend their foundations. They want a hybrid of Jesus and, and money, Jesus and health, Jesus and, and sex, Jesus and fame, Jesus and power. And eventually their desires for these other things choke out their affections for Jesus and they too fall away. So there can be the sandy foundation of an emotional profession without true discipleship. So a sandy foundation can be anything other than Christ that you're building your trust in. But a, a sandy foundation can also be any desire that you have in your life that is a greater, uh, that, that whatever that desire is, that desire for that thing is greater than your desire for Jesus. The scripture refers to these things as idols. John describes them for us in 1 John chapter 2 as the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Three broad buckets that, that all of our, our sinful desires fall into. 
And if you're thinking, I'm going to be satisfied if I get this, I'm going to be satisfied if I get this, right? Just like the book of Ecclesiastes. Those are sandy foundations that you're trusting in. And they won't last when the storms come. James James Boyce says of this passage, he says, it's important to see that those words were not spoken of people who rebelled against Christ's teachings at all, but to people who listened to them and made a profession of faith. Their folly is of a different order than that of mere unbelievers. It is the folly of people who have heard what is right and have acknowledged that it is right and profess to be following it, but who do not put Christ's teachings into practice. Man, these are the professions that will always prove faulty. Because the rain's going to come, the floods are going to rise, the winds are going to blow and beat on the house, and the house is going to fall. You know, when it's cold out, I will often tell my kids, hey, put on a a jacket. My 12-year-old will often listen to me. My daughter sometimes does. The other three, we're good, we're fine. Especially my one twin, Jonathan. He goes out in 40-degree weather in a tank top. And we may be bad parents, but we're also trying to raise men, not boys, right? So we're going to let him learn. And he goes out. But the reason why we warn them, hey, put on your jacket. Hey, brush your teeth. Hey, you know, it's, it's a bad idea for you to just eat candy all day. We don't let them do that, by the way. We, we, we stop them at some point, right? Hey, you need to do well in school. You need to apply yourself. You need to study. The reason why we do all these things, right, is because we are warning them that if they don't do these things, there are consequences, and the consequences can have disastrous effects later on in their lives. Well, that's what Jesus is doing with this parable, men. This parable is a gut check for for all of us in the room to take a moment to push back from the table, to examine our lives, to say, am I building on the rock? Have I dug down deep to make sure that I'm on the rock Or am I building on a sandy foundation? So, man, I I pray that you will have those moments of honest introspection. If you haven't during this time that we've been together right now, I, I pray that maybe even during small groups you will, or later on during this day that you will, that you'll take that time to really ask, to really search, to really pray, God, reveal to me what is my foundation. And then to begin to say, okay, I want to build well on this foundation to think that every time you go to the daily Bible reading, every time you find yourself in the word of God, you're picking up your trowel and you're picking up a brick and you're laying another brick. And to lay that brick well means not just to hear it, not just to read it, but then to say, okay, how am I going to live it? What am I going to do with it? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its precision in our lives and how it opens us up. We thank you for the gift of your spirit to be able to understand your word and take it and apply it to our lives. Father, we do pray that you would be kind to us to enable every single man in this room to have made sure that he is building on the rock. Lord, we thank you that the rock will stand no matter what, even up against the greatest and final enemy, which is death itself. Lord, I pray for these men. I pray for their time in small groups that it would be profitable, fruitful time and that we would continue to build upon the foundation in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen.